Good evening. Why don't you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8? You know, it's interesting. I was watching that video and uh, it really doesn't do justice to um, what God was doing last night. Um, it was incredible. You know, about 300 guys coming um, for food and uh, for fellowship and communion together and the word and... Um, Towards the end, obviously, you, if you were here on Sunday, Matt's got a powerful word, and he's just a really great um, speaker. He's able to engage and really draw out uh, from the scriptures some real great application. But um, I just want to read something. At the end, uh, throughout the message, he was challenging us towards the end there to be um, courageous warriors. And he gave us these four questions, and I think these were four questions that pertain to the message tonight, but also um, are, are very relevant uh, for our day and time. What is absent that needs to be present? What is broken that needs to be mended? What is evil that needs to be removed? And what is good that needs to be guarded and grown out? And at the end, um, I was in the back and um, it, was, it was super interesting because I always am amazed when God uses someone and then um, they give the call to come forward, right? Like if you need prayer or um, you want to receive Christ or there's something in your life that needs to be removed or so forth, so on. And like Matt gave the, the call and like it was like silent and like no one was coming up. And you're like, come on, God, like, there's guys here. There's like 300 of us, at least five, at least one. And you know, the most amazing thing happened. Um, this big dude, I, I don't know, I mean, I know who he is, but he came forward. And it's always more amazing, like, when it's a really big guy. Like, it would be different if it just some guy like me went up forward. But, like, a big, burly, like, strong, like, manly man. And Matt asked him, like, you know, like, how can I pray for you? In front of the whole crowd. And his response was, I believe in Jesus, but for some reason I have not been able to get off the porch. And that just, like, floored me. And, like, this guy gave Jesus the liberty and the authority in his life to submit to his lordship. And like that guy is a guy that God can use. That guy's a guy that God can have his favor over. And um, I'm interested to see what God does with that guy. But um, it kind of pertains to what the Lord's been ministering to me out of uh, Matthew chapter 8. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which has been just amazing. Um, and then... Through that, God's been kind of like dealing with our heart, right? Through issues of, of this is what I said, but this is where your heart should be. Um, he talks about, you know, through the Beatitudes with Pastor Stan. We talked about issues of forgiveness. Um, we talked about the spiritual disciplines of prayer and generosity and fasting. And um, I thought I'd just read this last um, verse because I think it's very important that we we engage with what Jesus said. Like these first, uh, these three chapters, the Sermon on the Mount, are so incredibly important. These is, this is the sermon 
of Jesus. Like if Jesus wanted to say anything to us, it was the Sermon on the Mount. His instructions for us to live by and to follow and to take to heart so that uh, one thing could happen, that we could enjoy communion with him, that we could walk in liberty and grace and freedom and just um, really walk in power, right? But I love how chapter 7 ends before we get into chapter 8. It says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd was astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. And I just pictured myself there listening to Jesus, and I pictured the chosen, obviously. I'm a fan of the chosen, if you haven't watched that, but when he gave the uh, Sermon on the Mount to the people, and it's like there was just a hush over the crowd, and people were just like, on the edge of their seat, like we, we, the way we should be like, right? When Lance is teaching or someone's up here, and it's like, what does God have to say to us? And they were just so incredibly engaged. And I love this word that Matthew used, is that the crowds were astonished. Like they went away in awe and in wonder. Like it wasn't just some guy up there teaching and well, that was a good message, you know, that was cool, you know, I love the jokes and you were really witty or, you know, loved the theology that you were espousing or the information was super good or maybe it just wasn't so good and we're just glad that we got through it, right? Um, but these people were astonished. They went away hearing the word of God from the Son of God by the power of the Spirit of God. And that's where Jesus' authority came from. So we've been talking about Jesus' authority kind of nonchalantly in chapter 4. We saw his authority from the Father, that he loved him and he was pleased with him. And we saw the authority given to Jesus through the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But um, I was just amazed at this idea that Jesus' teaching left people in awe and in wonder. It was a rima word. It was a, it was a word of the Spirit. Now, as we look at chapter 8, I want to look at some specific things about Jesus' authority but I also want to kind of like play with this idea that he was engaging with actual people. These aren't just stories, but these are actual people that Jesus met and touched and spoke with and did something radical in their lives. And through this, I think we'll get, um, if we have time enough, I want to talk about how we engage with real and true spiritual authority. But first of all, I just want to go over these three things that we're going to cover. Authority over sin. Jesus had authority over sin in the life of the leper. And the leper's response was humility and faith. And I'll reiterate these when we go through the stories. Secondly, Jesus has authority over sickness in the life of the slave of the centurion. The centurion's response was submission and trust. Thirdly, Jesus has authority over death in the life of Peter's mother-in-law. Her response was honor and service. In each of these, we will see something that's different than just authority, but something that's called spiritual authority, authority from God himself, authority that would draw people to itself, authority that would cleanse and heal and would build and would give life. So let's just look at the story here in chapter 8 in the first four verses. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Obviously, we saw that. They were in awe of his teaching, so they're obviously following him. 
down the mountain. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that nothing, you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses command, uh, commanded for a proof of them. Now it's interesting, this man is a leper. It was a disease, we call it Hansen's disease, kind of an interesting fact. The greatest amount of cases of leprosy in the U.S. is in California. That's interesting. But it was a very contagious disease. It was a, a, a disastrous disease. It was a disease, a disease that isolated a person and broke them. They would be uh, people of shame and separation. This man was a man that was desperately in need and he was out of communion with God and others. He could not come within six feet of anyone. In fact, in historical uh, accounts, it says that some of the rabbis actually uh, were uh, proud of the fact when a leper came close enough, they threw rocks at them. These were the lowliest of society. But as we look at the story, it says, this man came to him, Jesus. Like, he abandons himself. Like, I don't care who I am, what I look like, the disease, it's contagion, whatever. I am going to Jesus. He was a man that understood the authority of Jesus. Maybe he was a guy that was on the outskirts of the message, and he understood from the message that there was some spiritual word that was coming from Jesus, and this was God in the flesh. So this authority and recognizing the authority caused a response in him. He came, he agreed on his own need. And it's interesting, his response, it says there, he came to him and knelt. This man comes audaciously and, and, and just authoritatively in some senses, but in, in one way, he kneels in worship. And what does he do? He confesses his need. If you are willing, I know you can. He's coming in this, this, this posture of humility and saying, like, maybe I've tried everything. Maybe I've done everything to get over this. But if, if you're willing, you can. He doesn't demand. He doesn't say, like, do this for me, or you should have to do this for me, or whatnot. He's coming in humility and agreeing with his own need. And he agrees with where he's at, and he asks for a place where he'd like to be healed. He recognizes his need and asks for healing. But also in uh, humility, he recognizes Jesus' sovereignty. He says, look, like if it's your will, otherwise I still trust you. I see something that's different in you that I still trust you if you decide not to do it. Now, leprosy um, in a biblical sense is a picture of sin. We know that. We've heard that. Lance has shared that. One of my favorite chapters, actually one of my favorite two chapters of the Bible, um, hear me out, Leviticus 13 and chapter 14, 
where we see this idea of leprosy, the hideousness and the way it pictures sin, and then in chapter 14, the, the gospel and the cleansing and the healing of leprosy. But let me just go into when these people were told to go to the priest to inspect if it was leprosy, there's four things that the priest would be looking for in chapter 13 of Leviticus. He would say, is there some sense of whiteness on the skin? It was a skin disease, right? And so there's a sense of whiteness on the skin. Is it turning white? This idea is that death has set in to the skin. There are certain emotional reactions and attitudes which we have that are merely the matter of the moment. They can be a sign that death is at work in our lives. Something harmful is going on that was the first symptom that the priest would look for. He would look for the fruit that came from the root, right? When we have those symptoms, we have to look at what's going on underneath the surface in our lives that's making us sick. Secondly, he would see, is this something that's not just on the outside of the skin, but is it a thing that's going in and under the skin? Is this a deeper issue, not just a momentary attitude, but it's something that we've become friends with? Something which is more permanent, more characteristic of our lives. A prolonged attitude of irritability or temper or impatience or bitterness or resentment. These kinds of spots in the spiritual life are serious illnesses and the priests would consider them leprous. Thirdly, is there a hardness or a flesh? Uh, or the, there's, is there fleshiness on it? It's interesting how when death sets in and it gets under our skin, there becomes a hardness of the flesh or a hardness of the heart. We see that in Galatians chapter 5 when we have the contrast of the life of the flesh and the life of the spirit. Fourthly, and I think this is the most important, is that that sickness starts to spread throughout the entire body. That is, in the spiritual realm, it affects others within the body of believers. A bitter spirit can be as a, contagious as a smallpox. A, a rebellious attitude can spread like an epidemic and turn everybody against each other, against the Lord's authority. If this occurs, then the one who began it is obviously afflicted with a leprous disease and is unclean in God's sight. The disease is dangerous and harmful to the individual and to the body of Christ in which he lives. When I read these, they were so powerful. Is there something that's evident in my life that there's a sickness or a sin that's starting to fester? Is there something that's going under and deeper and I'm becoming friends with that issue or that attitude? And is there a hardness of heart to the, the work of the Spirit or the voice of the Spirit? And is that sickness starting to spread from me to others? The Bible says in Romans that the wages of sin is death, but there's hope. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ. We know that it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And in Romans, we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So there's this incredible hope that we see in, in this passage with the leper. That Jesus has authority over sin. If we, like the leper, will come and confess and agree and ask in humility and by faith, God, heal and cleanse me. 
I want to read you something from a book called Gentle and Lowly. I think something that limits our ability to receive from Jesus is our idea of who Jesus is when it comes to our sin. Just listen. When you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, you are going to the f- in with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against them. Jesus sees the fallenness of the world all about him. His deepest impulse, his most natural instinct, is to move towards sin and suffering, not away from it. Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to him for help and mercy. Christ's heart is not drained by our coming to him. His heart is filled up all the more by our coming to him. Jesus Christ is comforted when you draw from the riches of his atoning work because his own body is being healed. I love that. The man comes in desperateness and brokenness, but in faith, believing, worshiping, and trusting, and it draws out the heart of Jesus. Let me just read a few passages. Why does Jesus respond to this man? Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. talks about how the Lord's speaking. and says, heaven is my, is my throne and earth is my footstool. Who will build a house for me? But in verse 2 it says this, but this is the one to whom I look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That was the stature of this man. Think about David when he came to the Lord after his great fall of murder and adultery and lying and conniving and controlling. Listen to David's heart in Psalm 51, 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit for you will not delight in sacrifices or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart and a broken spirit. Oh God, you will not despise these. Think about the heart of Jesus in relationship to David's prayer for this leper. This man comes broken and contrite, and it's like Jesus says, I do not despise that. I, I love that. I love that you're coming and I'm going to respond. First Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. When I read that scripture, I think of that guy standing right there yesterday. He was willing, he was one out of 300 guys. Probably all of us should have been up there. I was thinking I should be up there. He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God And at that very moment, God exalted him. Jesus' response to this man's need and faith, it says there, Jesus says four words. I will. It's my desire to do this. I willingly do it. In fact, I joyfully do it. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. Now, in Leviticus chapter 14, you have a tremendous amount of imagery about the gospel and birds and blood and hyssop and scarlet and um, offerings and so forth. But one of my favorite portions of it 
is the ritual that followed when the, the priest would declare the leper clean. Now, at this point, there was only two people that had this ever happen to them. Miriam, after she sinned against Moses and against God, really against God's authority, and Naaman, the leper. So, like, this, this ritual had never been practiced, really. Honestly, I don't think it had ever been practiced. It was in the book, but never practiced. I did this with the kids, actually, in my high school class um, with, with Maddie. And uh, the priest would take the blood, and he would put it on the ear of the leper, symbolizing this, those things that we've listened to that have gotten into our heart and into our mind are clean. He would put it on the hand, those things that we've manipulated or controlled or things that we've touched that we shouldn't have touched by the blood that was shed have been cleansed. And then he would put the blood on the feet, the places where we've walked that we shouldn't have walked. They're cleansed underneath the blood of the sacrifice. We know that that's Jesus. But it didn't end there. We take the oil and do the same thing. So not only was that person cleansed, that person was empowered to walk in new life. I love that. Christ not only heals us of our leprosy, he not only overcame sin in our lives and continues to do so, making us victorious. The book of Corinthians says we're always triumphant in Christ Jesus. But he gave us the power of the Holy Spirit to live. I love the fact that this guy says, look, I want to be made clean. I want to be healed in some versions. Most versions say, can you make me, or can you heal me? And then Jesus' response to, I'm going to do actually something beyond what you're asking of me. I'm going to cleanse you. The idea is here that Jesus gives him something better, cleansing, which in the Greek, it just gives such a bigger picture. It's this man would be pure, he would be whole, he would be free from sin and guilt and shame. He went away clean, forgiven, empowered. So what we see here, this first point, is that we see Jesus' authority over sin. Now let's look at the story of the centurion it's quite a long story, and I'm going to skip a small portion of that because it just doesn't feel like it fits, but I don't have time to cover it. Uh, when he had entered Capernaum, a, century, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but you say the word, and my servant will be healed, for I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to other, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, 
and to the centurion, and, and the, to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that moment. Now, here we have a, a centurion. In those days, it was a man of great power. He commanded, as we're seeing here, tremendous authority. He was a, a man over um, like 100 like manly men, like warriors, soldiers that were always armed and ready and dangerous. He was in, in charge of a tremendous, in charge of tremendous power. One of the things we realize here when he says, like, I can tell someone to do this and I can tell them to do that, and they do it. I, I tell them to jump, they jump, they ask me how high and so forth and so on. So anything that this man would say, there was authority in his word. Everyone else would be waiting for his command. But he recognizes his authority is limited. Now, one point, Jesus is dealing with, in regards to the leper and the centurion and a woman, he's dealing with the lowly of the society. Like he's dealing with an outcast. He's dealing with someone that he wasn't supposed to go into the house of a Gentile. Because if he did, he'd be unclean himself. And thankfully, Jesus tore, tore down a lot of the walls in people's view towards women, um, because women were just possessions. But Jesus is dealing with the most uh, like abased people in people's image um, in these three uh, situations. But here we'll see Jesus' authority over sickness. He says he has a servant who is deeply sick with paralysis. Now, we see in this centurion intentionality and activity. He sought Jesus. In other versions, he sent people. I think that's in the book of Luke, where he sends uh, these priests, and they say, hey, look, you should help this guy because he's built us uh, a synagogue, and he's built his stuff, so he's worthy of you uh, coming and taking care of him. But I like this version because this man personally comes and recognizes Jesus' authority. This is a man that would come because he heard something. And what does he do? He begs on behalf of a friend. This man is an intercessor. One of these ideas, and, and the leper uses this, leper used the word Lord, and this centurion used the word Lord, and I think it's very appropriate here, is this is what that word means. Uh, Think of the Greek, it's kurios. You have power and authority, but something even greater, the power and authority to decide. There's something in regards to power and authority, but when you have the ability to decide something, that's even greater. He recognizes that Jesus, you are in control. This man's life because of his servant, because of his burden for this young man, is out of control. I want to kind of take a side note and talk about this uh, centurion because I think we can learn a few things from him in regards to servant leadership. Let me just go through these really quickly. One, he willingly served. He made a choice to serve a friend. Like this was a slave and Historically, slaves were considered like the same as an ox or an ox cart. 
Like, if the slave was sick, you might do the same thing you might do in these days with a horse. You might just throw them out, or they're, they're dead, you know? They were of no interest to anybody. But for this man, this slave was someone to be served because he considered him a friend. Another point is that in humility, he came under another. His service was not about him. He did nothing by coming to Jesus for his own good. The only person he was thinking about was this young man and the pain that he was going through. Second, or thirdly, what I was noticing about this centurion was he was willing to carry the burden of another. He felt the weight of this man's need, and he came underneath to carry that need to Jesus. Think about those uh, four men that took their friend on the, 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 um, the bed, dropped him through the house to Jesus. Stretcher bearers. That's the type of man this is. He's carrying the burden, the weight of this man's issue. And fourthly, we can learn about servant leadership. He had compassion enough to act. My old friend Carl Lawrence used to say that compassion was, I taste the salt of your tears. This man tasted the pain and the salt of this person's tears. And Jesus is drawn to this. It's his own heart. Jesus would say in Mark chapter 10, I have not come to serve or be served, but to serve. And in this centurion, I love it. I think that Jesus saw something of his own life in this man. Like, this is a man after my own heart. William Barclay says, Jesus is drawn to those whose hearts are broken for the needs of others. And it, re- and it creates response in Jesus to go. In fact, Jesus says here, hey, let's go. Let's go to your house. He's, I'm drawn by your compassion. But there's something about this man. He recognized greatness and he submits to it. That was the second point, was that when we recognize Jesus' authority, we submit and trust. I am also a man of great authority, he says, but you have true authority. And I'm willing to honor and submit to that, to trust you. He saw the sovereignty and the majesty of Jesus. He saw and believed in this created trust. I think that's an important point for God's authority in our lives to take root and create. It's his desire that we submit and trust. The guy's response was like, look, I've got authority, I know what that means. I know when I say something, people do it. I know the type of authority that you have. And I think that if you'll say it, it will happen. I think that's an important point as well to draw out here. He says, and it says there that he saw the authority of his word. He says there, at your word, it will happen. So we have the authority of Jesus over over sin, the authority of Jesus over sickness. We have here in this particular story, a man that trusts the authority of Jesus' word. In fact, what he's saying is, because of your promise and because of who you are, I know that my servant will be healed. At that moment, it says here, 
And to the centurion, Jesus said, verse 13, Go, let it be done for you as you believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. By the power of God's word, this man was healed. That's some incredible trust. That's some incredible trust this man has. Now, let's look at the final story. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. Now, in this story, we see Jesus' power over death. We've seen Jesus' power over sin in the life of the leper. We've seen Jesus' power over sickness in the life of the centurion slave. He healed him of paralysis. He was sick. He was in pain. And here we see Jesus' power over death. Now, at face value, it doesn't look like she's going to die. It just says she has a fever. But in reality, it's not like she just have, she's just hot and like has a cough. Most commentarians say that this fever was because of, uh, most likely, they assume, they're not sure, that this woman had malaria. Now, we don't have malaria here in California, I don't think. If you get it, the doctors will not know what to do about it. But in Africa, when we lived in Africa, people got malaria regularly uh, because of a mosquito bite. Like, I hate mosquitoes with a passion. And like, they're all over right now. And I hated them. We would live uh, with our windows closed under um, you know, these mosquito nets. And like, the power of the mosquito if you've ever been camping and you have one mosquito in your tent, that little deal is powerful. But one bite can kill a person within a couple days. The body's racked with pain, with sickness, with fever, with tremors. If it goes to the brain, if you get cerebral or malaria, you can die within 24 hours. We had a friend that had a mission team come that were more by Lake, the Lake Nile, uh, the River Nile. There's no Lake Nile, sorry. Um, Lake Victoria. It's been how long I've been there. I haven't been there. Um, and this young man died within 24 hours because of malaria. Now, there's a $3 pill you can take. Um, uh, first world problems. Um, most people in third worlds can't afford a $3 pill, so they just go, go through the sickness and just let it ride itself out and hope for the best. Um, but this woman probably had malaria. At least that's what John MacArthur said, so we'll trust John MacArthur. <laughs> so this would lead to impending death. She was on her deathbed. I find it interesting that in the first scenario, the leper comes and asks, for himself, the second scenario, the centurion comes and asks on behalf of a friend, 
But in this third scenario, no one asks. At least vocally, no one said anything. Peter didn't say, hey, like, Jesus, you're at my house. Like, it's my mother-in-law. Come on, man. Peter's wife didn't say anything. Please, Jesus, I know you can. I've seen you do it. Like, can you just take care of this malaria? But you and I know that in their heart, the heart's cry and the heart's plea was, Jesus, please heal my mother-in-law. And I just found it so interesting that no one acts or no one asks. But I think the point here is that Jesus sees the cries of our heart. He's willingly drawn to the cries of our heart. We know that from Romans, it says, when we don't have words, he could see, well, let me just back up. He could see the longing in Peter and his wife to heal her. and responds to the longing. He knows the, secret sense, the secrets of our hearts and responds. Maybe in you or maybe in me, most likely in all of us right at this very moment, there's some burden that we're carrying for someone. It's not only just on our mind, but it's burdening and weighing heavy on our heart, and we don't even know the words to say to Jesus. I was with an individual the other day, and he was just sharing about his kids, and they've walked away from the Lord, and like, he just started to tear up, man. Like, what the heck? Like, these kids, they've been raised in the church, and we love God in our family. We love God in our home. We've modeled Jesus and grace and mercy, and, like, they've just gone to these colleges, and now they're just as liberals all get out, and, like, they just don't even want anything to do with it. And I could see the longing of his heart and the tears in his eyes. And I thought, Jesus can answer that prayer that father's heart's cry. Jesus bears witness with this man's um, response, and it says in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit that bears witness uh, with our spirit that Jesus is alive, but also when we don't have the words, the Holy Spirit actually intercedes for you and for me. So we see Jesus' authority over death in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 54 through 55, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only would he have authority now by his word, to heal her through touching her, but he would have authority over death through his own death, burial, and resurrection. Again, back to the chosen. If you see the, the chosen in this particular story, like, because sometimes you have to kind of imagine these things happening, but like she wakes up and she's like, the heck, who are you? Like, I'm Jesus. They're like, everybody's laughing, like, this is Jesus. She's like, why are you guys all just standing around? Let's get something to eat. She, starts, she jumps up and starts serving Jesus. I think it's so interesting, so wonderful, 
that her response to the authority of Jesus over death is honoring him through service. That's one of the most wonderful things that we could do in regards to his authority over sin, his authority over sickness, his authority over our um, first death, beating death, victorious over death, is that we would serve him with our lives and honor and worship him with our lives. She gets up and makes food. I love the Bible because it's just like sometimes just so practical. Like the guy looks like he needs food. You just come off this three-day preaching tour and the Sermon on the Mount and like, guy needs food, man. And something interesting, let's, let's just read the, the last portion. It says there, um, wow, we're like way ahead of schedule. Cool. Because I do want to share one thing um, that I didn't, have, didn't know if I was going to have time for. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our sins. So one of the things I, I didn't want to cover because um, I think Chad's next week um, is this story of Matthew chapter 8, uh, verses 28 through um, the end, 34. It's this peculiar story, but one of my favorite stories when Jesus heals these men, these demon-possessed men. And um, then he puts them in these pigs, and it's like this weird story of he casts them into the pigs. I don't know why the demons wanted to go in the pigs. It's kind of interesting and weird, maybe because he thought, like, well, these are all Jews around here. They're not going to kill us because they don't like pigs. They can't eat pigs. Um, but uh, it's such a beautiful story and a reminder that Jesus has spiritual authority over the demons and the demonic. One note, uh, a few weeks ago, um, I think it was Stan came through and spoke on the spiritual battle. And um, man, the battle's been raging, right? In many lives, um, in our church, and in our families, and in our communities, let alone the globe, right? The globe's almost at World War III, but a lot of this stuff is just so demonic. Confusion and chaos and bitterness and anger and confusion and gossip and just like the stuff that's coming out of the media. And I don't want to get into all that stuff. Um, last time my wife said, you shouldn't say that, so don't say that. Um, uh, but Jesus, if, if something's going on in your life, something's going on in your family, your workplace, Jesus has authority over the darkness. Like, don't think it's like that whole picture that Jesus and the devil are wrestling and Jesus is kind of like, oh, no, it's, he's losing for a minute. Oh, no, like, no, there's, it's, not, it's not like a comparison in strength and power. It says that he brought everyone. They brought everyone from those who were oppressed by demons. He cast them out with a word. And it says, and he healed all those who were sick. And it says here, verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. That's from Isaiah 53. It's interesting um, 
in Luke chapter 22, I don't know the passage, I think it's the first few verses, but the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him a very interesting question. By whose authority are you doing these things? Like, what are they referring to? They're referring to the events of chapter 21 when he clears out the temple and says, look, why are you doing this? My house is a house of prayer. Like, Jesus is claiming authority over the church. He's like, this is my church. Get out. And then, like, who died and made you boss? Like, you're all riding in on a donkey and saying, like, you're the Messiah. Like, what the heck? Their power, their authority, their comfort, um, Jesus was like poking at that and was like, you know what? You're not as in control as you think you are. You're religious, and I do things by a different power from the power of the Father. I only do the things that the Father tells me to do. And I love this because, like, right here we're seeing the authority over um, sin, sickness, and death. Now, I want to transition um, on a few thoughts because in Matthew chapter 28, I love Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, Jesus says, I have been given all authority on heaven and earth. And in a sense, as he gives the Great Commission, he's saying, look, I've been given all authority and I'm giving it to you. As my disciples and those that would follow me, I'm giving you all authority. I'm transferring my authority to you. You're going to have a borrowed authority that you have to be responsible with. What's the, the purpose of that? Is to uh, draw all men unto Jesus. Our proper response, well, let me back up here. I lost my place for a second. Okay, so Jesus has been given all authority. The proper response to that authority is that there will be uh, an experience in our own lives to living and walking in that authority, Matthew chapter 28. But I've been thinking about this thing, um, and I heard something so powerful uh, just yesterday. I was sharing with a couple people, but some things stand in the way of that in my life. Jesus has given me authority. He wants me to minister and live from an overflow of relationship with him, to see his authority and receive it and walk in it. That's what these guys and gals are doing. They're, they're seeing his authority. They're receiving the power of that authority. And then just like the leper or the, the, the paralyzed guy or the mother-in-law, they're actually then walking in that authority. But some things in my own life, and I don't know if this is true of you, but they stand in the way of that. And I wrote this to myself. Am I more impressed with sin, sickness, or death than I am with God? I and these men, I, I as these men, need to move my focus from myself and place that focus on the greatness and the goodness of God in Christ. Taking my intention from my opinions to his word and to his promises, from those things that might happen, that I'm afraid that might happen, and point myself to that which he's doing and be completely God conscious. Now, 
I want to remind you in Matthew chapter 6, like how do we walk in this spiritual authority that Jesus has given us? Matthew chapter 6, I covered a couple things when I shared on that chapter through generosity, through prayer, and through fasting, right? The spiritual disciplines. How do we tap into this though? So, but I heard something yesterday and I thought like, I know it's as easy as that and I think that that's something that I can do. But there's something I have to do before that. And I heard this thing on Exodus chapter 3. Um, bear with me. I'm going to go quickly. Think about it. Exodus chapter 3, burning bush, Moses. He's been shepherding sheep for 40 years. He had this idea that he was going to be the Savior to the people of Israel, he goes out and gets a little bit impatient, murders a dude, runs away, and he's a, a shepherd for 40 years. He's got a staff. He's out there with these sheep. So it's Moses and his staff. Now, follow me here. The staff would be a sign of Moses' authority. The staff would, number two, be a, a, a symbol of his identity. He was a shepherd. It would be a tool of protection. And fourthly, it would be a treasured possession. But I want to focus on number two. Because as I was listening to this thing the other day, I was listening and this person was saying this, was think about this. Moses' staff was his identity. And the, the speaker was asking the crowd, what is it when people think of you, what do they think about? What is your identity? What is your title or your gift? Maybe here at the church or in uh, the community, your ministry. Maybe it's a social group that you're around or with, or maybe it's a, a standing of group that you're with. Maybe it's economic standing. Maybe it's your bank account, where you live. The staff in Moses' life would be anything that he uh, trusted in. You can make your own list. But the question was, is how am I known as by title, gifting, ministry, relationships, those things that represent something that could stand in the way or eclipse my vision of Jesus, the good overshadowing the great. Before God spoke and gave Moses this direction, Moses asked, or God asked a question. Before he could invite Moses into authority, he asks him, what is in your hand? Moses said, it's a staff. It's my identity. I'm a shepherd. I'm a leader. You might think, I'm, I, I'm a guy that murdered someone. Or I'm a guy that I thought, like, this great thing that God was going to do to my life. It didn't happen. Catch this. God's response to this is throw it on the ground. Let it go. Let go of your title, Moses. Let go of your protection. Let go of your prized possession. Relinquish it. Release it to me. The thing that you've been holding on to is in the way of spiritual authority that I want to give you. You can't depend on those things at all. The basis, and catch this, this was really powerful for me. The basis of my spiritual authority is your obedience to revealed 
truth and promptings of the Holy Spirit. And this is where it really blew me away. Moses, I want your identification to not be in your title, your strength, your gift, your talent, your position, your ministry, or anything else. What I want to give you is spiritual authority, and in that, I want you to be known according to your level of friendship with me. That hit me like a ton of bricks. That he would no longer rely on these illusions, but he would come to a place where that authority that he lived by was that his authority from, was from his friendship with God, with communion with God. So it brings you back to this idea that we had just been covering, humility, submission, honor, trust, service, through obedience and love and friendship towards Jesus. See, the prayer was in Matthew chapter 6 that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? But that can't happen if I don't believe in his authority over sin, sickness, and death, and demons. If I'm entrusting myself to my own titles or my own abilities or talents or social groups or pocketbook or whatever it might be, I have to let it go and develop true authority through friendship with God. I have to see God. I wrote this down. See God, respect others, and walk in power and friendship and authority from God. What might I be relying on or looking to for identity that is overshadowing or outshining the glory of God? What keeps me from that deep friendship with with him? He wants to take it. He wants to transform it into a John chapter 15 relationship the branch, and the vines. I can imagine that these three people walked away with like, wow, like, they were transformed, right? Healed, cleansed, empowered, given new life. Walked in service and in worship and humility and submission. Most importantly, like, I believe that they entered into this thing that Jesus said in John chapter 15, I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends because they understood who he was. So, in my own life, I'm just trying to see Jesus have a bigger vision of him and not uh, try to lessen him because of my lack of vision or my holding on or relying on anything that would overshadow or eclipse his glory. God's just been really working on this issue of authority with me um, and my own issues with authority. I had a really funny story I was going to tell, but it would have been too long, so. <laughs> Leaving Las Vegas was the story. But um, let's pray. Lord, thank you. We're just thankful that um, in your word you give us uh, some beautiful pictures of just how powerful you are 
Lord, sometimes we are so impressed with our own sin, we're so impressed with our circumstances or um, the situation or financial issues or um, relational conflicts that we fight your authority, we, we, we hold on in worry and, and fear and uh, anger or whatever it might turn into, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, for your spirit to give us a new, fresh vision of Jesus just to uh, open our eyes to see all of your glory. Or we believe that you can um, overcome sin in our lives. We believe um, in our situations of sickness that you can heal us. We believe that you have overcome death and we look forward to eternal life. And we believe even now, right now, Lord, that you have authority over the demonic. And Lord, we just pray... Um, your, the breaking of bonds in all these areas. Lord, it says there that by your stripes we're healed. And we believe that you've come and given us new life. And so help us to walk in that authority. Lord, help us to be known by our level of friendship with you. That that would be our spiritual authority. That would be the overflow that we walk in. That when people see us, they would say, look, that's a person that loves and walks with Jesus. That's a person that uh, is close with God. That's a person that we can go to because they uh, have an authority that's different from the world's authority. Lord, just speak your name over us now even. May your spirit fall afresh on us that we would walk away renewed and refreshed and encouraged tonight. And um, just like these people, Lord, may we um, be changed and transformed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.